This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell the story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. everybody welcome back to the midnight myth excited to be here for your favorite philosophy history mythology pop culture podcast uh it's derek and laurel yeah i know right (laughs) so i've been thinking a lot about the possible reality that the universe is not just hostile to humanity but indifferent and whether or not what we do here on this little floating rock actually matters or or doesn't matter. And I've been meditating a lot about that after the latest school shooting in Florida and seeing you know, 17 people die in a school, uh, six of, 16 of them being students, one of them being an adult, and the you know cacophony and insanity that happens anytime you know guns are brought up in this country and the like lies and vile that spewed from, you know, the powerful elites trying to sell more guns. And it made me think that, you know, maybe the universe is just totally indifferent. Maybe the lives that are lost on this little rock mean nothing at all. And like balancing out that despair that comes with the potential of the indifference to human affairs, when you see great suffering, starts to weigh on you. And and typically, and as we do at the Midnight Myth, is I, I turn to a story to see if there's guidance. And uh, I think today, dealing with the potential that everything that we do means nothing, that the universe is fundamentally and completely indifferent to humanity and human endeavors, I think is the starting point by which I want to uh, do this episode in which we're going to talk about the Netflix smash hit Black Mirror. It's a bleak way to start a podcast, but it's a bleak uh, pop culture moment that we're stepping into uh, with Black Mirror and with the particular episode that we're going to talk about tonight, which is from the latest season. We're going to dive into Crocodile, 
Uh, and we'll we'll share a little bit more just to get you back up to speed on which episode that was in the latest season. If you're not caught up in Black Mirror, obviously go and check that out on Netflix before coming back to us because we are going to include heavy, heavy spoilerage in the following episode. Uh, but that is a great jumping off point uh, for us to try and understand this character and the journey that she takes and how we're going to apply that to our everyday life. Well, before we really roll up our sleeves and get started, um, Laurel, if anybody out there listening wants to reach us or give us some feedback, how can they do that? Oh my God, we would love that. So if you have any thoughts or questions or suggestions about what you hear tonight or what you've heard on the podcast before, please reach out to us. Uh, we're definitely here for for whatever you have to say. You can tweet us at The Midnight Myth on Twitter. You can visit us on Instagram at Midnight Myth Podcast or on Facebook to search The Midnight Myth Podcast. You can also hit up our website, www.midnightmyth.com and drop us a line on the contact form and check out the blog there as well. Yeah, so to get started here, I think one of the central questions to begin with is, what is Black Mirror as a show really about? You know, what are the themes of Black Mirror? And then how can we imply those broader themes to Crocodile? And then what is the episode Crocodile saying? But before we do any of that, let me give just a, a quick recap. It is the third or I think second? it's the fourth episode. Yeah. Oh, it's, third episode. It's in season four on Netflix. The show has been on Netflix. It's about this character, Mia. And we start the episode. She is partying at a disco and uh, her and her presumed boyfriend, they leave the disco after partying. The sun is coming up. They're hammered coming down off of whatever they were on and they run over a biker and kill him. The boyfriend, Rob, wants to cover up the crime. Mia wants to call the police. Eventually, Mia is complicit in getting rid of the body and the bike, and they drive on. We flash forward 15 years later. Mia is now a successful architect. She is married. She has a, a young son, and she's going to speak at a conference in which is the town where her ex-boyfriend slash conspirator slash co-murderer comes and finds her and says that he is recently sober. He has stopped drinking and uh, he wants to come clean and he wants to morally atone for the murder they committed. Mia can't face this, so she kills him in their hotel room, which sets off a whole series of events involving an insurance adjuster who has the ability to tap into people's memories and record them as if they are recording like a DVR or uh, you know VCR recording of a TV show. And this insurance adjuster is trying to find out about an accident that Mia witnessed. Through using this technology, she gets to Mia. Uh, she sees Mia's memories. She sees that Mia is a murderer. Mia murders her, her husband, and their infant child, who turns out to be blind, which she murders to try to cover up the fact that the child saw her, doesn't want the memories being seen. It ends with uh, Mia finally being reunited with her family, in which she is watching a play that her son is putting on and the cops using the pet guinea pig, see the memories of the guinea pig and know that Mia is the murderer and are there to arrest her scene. That was a great uh, summary. Thank you for hitting those points for really us. quick. Yeah. Um, it, just like, like we said before, we're going to dig deep into a lot of the themes here, but we definitely just wanted to recap you on where we were in black mirror because it was really a whirlwind of a season. And, this season, I think even more than previous seasons, was very interested in answering a few cohesive questions and 
uh, providing some some light, shedding some light on questions that they have been asking for the entire time they've been on, but pulling those together in a little bit more of a coherent way. And I think tonight we're going to explore what those questions are and how this episode, even though it may seem to be a bit of an outlier, really does attempt to address those questions in a different and unique way. And I think the essential question of season four is, does humanity have a soul? And if it does have a soul, can that soul be created in the material, non-transcendental realms, which means, can there be a soul on Earth? And if we can create a, a conscious entity outside of a body, what does that say about humanity writ large? I think um, that is the, the central theme, and I think most of Black Mirror deals with humanity in the face of challenges, whether those challenges are technological, whether those challenges are spiritual, whether those challenges are about um, social institutions and how to survive within the crippling weight of a social institution that oppresses you. And that Crocodile fits into this mold that I think Crocodile's central question is, is there a human soul? And if so, is it corruptible? And if it's corruptible, will that lead to further corruptible actions? And I think there are some very heavy um, religious undertones in this episode. And I think there are some heavy uh, confluences and intersections between humanity and technology. And I think that is sort of the lens by which I investigate this episode. Would you agree? Absolutely. Uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting for us to explore that tonight because it may be harder to see the uh, the way in which uh, this particular episode of Black Mirror addresses that question of the soul and of humanity on a show that's really about uh, about technology and about humanity's response to technology. And this episode really encounters its you know new piece of technology in a way that's a little less forthright. It's a little less forthcoming than other episodes, which may be a little more heavy-handed in their morals about technology, but. I do believe that most episodes of Black Mirror come down to one of two uh, strategies for coming together. Some are truly propelled by the plot and by the technology and by how people respond to it, and some are really propelled by character. And those are often quieter, more introspective episodes, and this, I think, is one of those, and those are the episodes that really stand out. It's like Crocodile. It's be Right Back, it's 15 Million Merits. These are the episodes that really stick with us and really upset us because it's not just about this crazy out there tech, it's about what is really deep down there in humanity that can push us to the very edge. Yeah, so I'd like to start with the idea of the soul and the sort of roots where that idea comes from in Western society and civilization. And before I do that, just preamble, I realize that Many different cultures have had an idea of a soul. The reason why I've prefaced Western um, for this discussion is that I feel that Black Mirror is very much a Westernized show. I think it deals within those traditions. So I think there's a line not saying any one idea of the soul is better than any other. Of course. Um, so the idea of a soul in the West really, when it comes to putting things down to paper or parchment, if you will, starts in ancient Greece it starts with the Iliad. It starts with 
the Iliad and the Odyssey, in which there's documentation about what happens after you die. And that is that there is a soul, it leaves the body. When it leaves the body, it is a fragment or shell of the individual that was there, and it goes to the underworld and exists as sort of like a like ghastly shade. And one of the central messages and themes of the Iliad and the Odyssey is that it's better to be alive at all costs. You know, death is a terrible fate and a fate that you should avoid. Um, this idea sort of permeated in ancient Greece and eventually come on, came under intense scrutiny until a little man named Plato came around who documented the dialogues of Socrates. And we've talked about Plato many times in the past, but Plato and Socrates were very much responsible for reinvigorating the idea of the soul. And Socrates theorized that there were two fundamental aspects of knowable reality. That sounds a little heavy, but things that we can understand, that we can know. There are things we can know and things we can't. Within the realm of the knowable, there were two fundamental camps. Those that were perishable, and these are things that are physical, that can be broken down into smaller parts. So what does that mean? That's a table. That's a house. It's a human body. It's an airplane. These are things that we can know everything about them because we can take them down to their parts and we can examine them. These are things that ultimately decay over time. But then there is the imperishable things that we can know. This is love. This is beauty. These are these more abstract ideals that to Socrates are just as real. And those things are imperishable, meaning that they don't degrade and disappear over time. Beauty as a concept will exist for forever. Love as a concept that will exist for forever. And to Socrates, that's where the soul fits in. It's the part of us that exists for forever. It's the part of us that animates the physical. And it's part of the broader philosophy of Plato called the forms. Right. Yeah, I was going to say this intersects so much with with the forms, which if you want to know more about that and our take on the forms, check out our episode on being John Malkovich a few months ago. Yeah, there's lots of stuff out there too. Um, But anyway, not to get too into the weeds with Plutonic philosophy, but this reinvigorates the idea that there is an eternal part of humanity that exists with and without the body. And uh, Plato is one of the intellectual... Uh, direct lines to modern day Christianity because most of the early Roman Christian theologians before they converted to Christianity were part of Neoplatonism. So they were really big into Plato and then they converted into Christianity and they brought with them lots of ideas from Plato and put them into Christian thinking and Christian theological study. Um, And then from there we have the, to where we are now with the common belief of the soul. And that kind of gets us into this episode. And the idea, now, the idea that the soul is this aspect of ourself and that it is tied to our physical body but exists outside of our physical body. And beyond our physical body, right? And what we're seeing, potentially, one argument for crocodiles that we're seeing what happens to the human soul when we lose touch of it while living? So what I mean by that is the character Mia, by doing the first immoral act, the first act, the first covering of murder, which she didn't want to do, 
which she resisted but ultimately caved into pressure and did, that made her then more susceptible and more tolerant to other acts of murder. Yes, uh, I, I think this is such an interesting way in because so often in Black Mirror, we are confronted with, especially in this latest season, we are confronted with humanity and confronted with an idea of a digital copy or a sentient piece of code or something that humanity created that has become more intelligent or more uh, more conscious than we had anticipated or than we had hoped to give rights and, and legal uh, uh, freedom to. The questions that arise from that dichotomy are like, if we are able to create a consciousness like that, are, is that as human as us? Is that more human than us? And these are things that are explored in, of course, U.S.'s Callister, in Black Museum, in White Christmas. And they're also, they, they span back to the beginning of sci-fi. That's Metropolis. It's Blade Runner. It's almost every uh, piece of, of fiction or uh, pop culture about robots or AI that exists. So it's not necessarily a new idea, but we've gotten so used to it on Black Mirror, dis- discussing and trying to discern what about us makes us better than the machines. What I think is really interesting about Crocodile is that it actually dials us back to an even older version of that question that extends in the other direction. If we have a soul, or whether we have a soul, as opposed to an animal, what is it about the human being that sets us apart from the rest of the animals? And this is a question that was spurring Plato and Socrates. This is a question that was spurring the ancient Gnostics, right? This is a question that is still a part of our everyday life. And yet, in the context of Black Mirror, it's almost revolutionary. So where am I going with this? Where am I getting all of this animal kingdom stuff? Of course, the episode is called Crocodile. And it's not uh, a term that is directly addressed anywhere in the episode. So nowhere are we uh, confronted with a character saying, wow, you're so much like a crocodile. There's no crocodile in it, literally. But we have to kind of peel back the layers and look into this character study that we're diving into and say, what about this character says crocodile? And if we watch it through that lens, it opens up this whole new like crazy world uh, as we're exploring whether or not she has a soul and what journey that soul is on. Yeah, and I would say she starts with the place of, of, of a soul, and we see her lose it throughout the course of this episode. Oof. You know, and I, I think the, the telling scene where she crosses the precipice is when she is in the hotel room, and in the hotel room there's a screen playing that says, you know, welcome Mia, and the screen is of a pond with water drops hitting it. In slow motion. So I think that is one, A, crocodile tears as a a theme of like fake tears. Emotional manipulation. And that we've seen her, you know, perchance showing that she is a fully fleshed out and fully formed and fully like woke, you know, architect designing the homes of the future, suggesting right out of the gate that that's fake. That's crocodile tears. That's not who she really is. That's the the tough exterior that she has built for herself to uh, kind of cover up what's deep inside. 
And then when she finally attacks uh, Rob in the hotel room, she grabs him and hugs him and just holds him and doesn't let him go until he bangs his head and falls on the ground and then she chokes him out. Very similar to how a crocodile would attack, which would put its jaws around its prey, pull it underwater, hold it until it drowns, and then eat it. Exactly. And that is the the moment where she decides to to kill. I think one of the telling parts about her fully fleshed into the crocodile aspect of her humanity, into her reptilian form of herself, is when she is um, in the car after the murder and the body is sitting in the back and the tears stop. She picks up the phone or the phone rings. She picks it up and she talks to her husband calm as if nothing had happened as if nothing was happening. He's like, you're right. She's just like, yeah, I'm just tired. You know, it's been a long day. I'll be fine. I think that is the telling moment because all of these murders that she does, she knows they are wrong. We see her, uh, you know, covering up the eyes of her victims. We see her crying in hysterical tears. We see her realizing what she's doing is wrong, which gives the argument that she has choice, which is central to a soul. You know, you have to have free will if we have souls, you know? Um, and then, but at that, that moment there is we see her true animal nature where she's calm. She's cool. She's just talking to her husband with a dead body in the back of her car, and that's quite all right. That's where we see her at peace, truly, with the murders that she has completed. You're absolutely right that that's a pivotal moment for her, and she continues on that path for the rest of the episode. I want to rewind just a little bit to examine some of what's going on around her as well, and some of the imagery that we're being fed in this episode. If you go back and watch... Uh, even from the first couple of shots when they're driving through the mountains right before they first hit that biker, this is all shot in Iceland, which is an extremely powerful uh, you know, space visually. So all of the scenes where we're in a car, we're surrounded by these like dark, gigantic, immovable, oppressive mountains and landscape. And we always kind of feel like we're being watched by nature. On a show that's very much about technology, it's almost jarring for us to see so much of the natural world. Mia herself is often associated with a lot of elemental and natural imagery, particularly water. Like you said in the scene in the hotel where she is uh, framed, silhouetted against the, uh, the video screen with the droplets of water. But even before that, when they drop the cyclist into the lake, we see her associated with water. We see them trying to bury something, trying to drown something. But as we know, like witches, ducks, and very small rocks, bodies tend to float. And while we don't see that body literally float up to the surface, that's her struggle this entire episode, right? It's trying to keep buried, trying to keep beneath water, the things that she would rather not rise to the surface. And when we first encounter that technology, that is her struggle, is to keep the memories of all of the horrible crimes of her past deep, deep underwater while she puts on a face, while she puts on these crocodile tears. And what is this all motivated by? It's motivated by a survival instinct. So there's no deeper you know, message of, of her own 
uh, goodness and worth and humanity. It's all about, I have these things. I have a life and I'm going to hold on to it. I have a husband and I'm going to hold on to it. I have a career. I have a child and I'm going to hold on to those things by any means and at all costs, much like an animal. She even says that to Rob when he's just like, Hey, listen, you know, I, I have to come clean. I have to confess. I have to tell her what's going on. I'll do my best to make sure you don't get in trouble. And she's just like, I have a life. You don't know what that's like. I have a child. Think of my child. I will not let you essentially ruin the material things that I have. And, um, you know, I think back to the discussion of the soul, and you think of the the ancients, you know, a lot of their meditations and dissertations around that start with this idea that there is something fundamentally different and special about humanity. Modern biology tells us that's actually not accurate. Modern biology tells us that humanity is just another type of animal, however, one that has evolved in a particular way to have a particular set of intellectual and technical abilities that other animals don't. I think one of the things that this uh, show talks about is that there is this kind of animal within us and that maybe we don't and never have had souls. And that was always an intellectual artifact, but in reality we are just highly evolved animals. And when pushed, we can react just like an animal can. And the character Mia may be an argument against the existence of the soul. That's how I read this episode. Uh, When you look deeply into it, so much of her, of her process, so much of the path that she takes is purely driven by, like I said, the survival instinct and the, uh, just the, the at all costs preservation of the resources that she has in the scene after she kills Rob, uh, the sun comes up and we see a shot of ice melting. And I think even this is a powerful piece of imagery where there's this beautiful you know, sheet of ice and snow where people have probably been skiing or ice skating all winter. But as we know, you know, in the spring, when the thaw comes, I know you and I, so we live in Philadelphia, and when it snows heavily for a really long time in Philadelphia and the snow sticks around for a long time, it's like beautiful. And then as soon as it melts, there's all this dog shit and trash and just gross stuff underneath the snow that's been sitting there all season. And that's kind of Mia in this episode. Uh, she is a character who is like straight up trash that's covered up by this beautiful exterior, just like a crocodile. But as she starts to travel down this darker and darker path, taking more and more lives, turning more and more evil and amoral, we're starting to expose that underbelly. We're starting to see the mask melt away. That's aided, of course, by the memory technology, which is an interesting part of this episode. And I would love to discuss it if, if, if you think that's prudent, uh, just what exactly the role of that memory technology is in terms of Mia's journey. Yeah, I think that is the a great a great thing to bring up because so Black Mirror usually technology sits as the central focal point of an episode where the events that transpire can only and would only happen because of the technology. Typically in Black Mirror there's always a little cautionary warning with the technology like you need to look before you leap. You need to think through the consequences. 
if this technology exists, but it's not fully humanized, if it's not fully actualized, could there be a consequence that we don't foresee? This episode, I think, is a little different in the respect that the technology to peer into people's uh, minds and to record them and to use that as legally verifiable evidence has become privatized. And so what I mean by that is that they say in the episode that it started as a way for police to investigate crimes, but it's now being used by insurance companies to investigate claims. And that's where we get to our other main character, Shazia. Shazia is presumably Muslim because she wears a hijab, and her job is to go into hijab job. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bad joke. I just oh, realized. Oh my that's God. not even a joke. That's just no, me being an idiot. That's just a little uh, fancy yeah. wordplay. Yeah, that's just two words that sound similar that made me laugh because, you know, I'm a simple, stupid creature. Oh, Anyway. Because you're an animal. Because I'm an animal or, or a man. But anyway, <laughs> um, so she wears a hijab so we can assume pretty safely that she's Muslim. And she goes into people's homes and uses this technology to investigate claims to determine should the insurance company pay, should they not pay, to what extent is the insurance company liable, et cetera, et cetera. She actually uses this technology the way that it's supposed to be used. And I mean that in both the uh, way to protect and help her insurance company, as well as in the intention that it was written. So we know this because she goes to the dentist and in investigating the claim in which someone got hit by a self-driving car and the dentist is just like, listen, I don't really want you going into my memories. I was doing some really embarrassing shit and like, I'm kind of not okay with it. And she explains, listen, the only thing I need is the accident. Anything else I cannot and will not include because I will, you know, be, you know, considerate of your privacy. In fact, I have to be. She's extremely ethical about her usage and she, it's almost like a Hippocratic oath, right? She's like, as long as you're not harming yourself or another person, I will in no way divulge this. It's doctor patient confidentiality in a different form. Hippocratic oath. Another thing that started in ancient Greece, but anyway, boom. Um, and the turns out that the doctor is a pervert and was a peeping Tom and trying to take pictures of a naked man staying in a hotel room across the street. And she doesn't include that in the report. You know, and as far as we know, she doesn't even mention that. She doesn't tell that to her husband. She really lets that become a private part of it. <laughs> private parts. Anyway, bad, bad Derek. I digress. Because, <laughs> you know, get it, private parts. Anyway. I got it. I so, got it. Long story short, and no more stupid witticisms or lack thereof of witticisms aside. Speak for yourself. For me, not you. Um, she utilizes it in a most positively intentional way in the way to do her job, only to do her job, and to disclude anything that might be harmful or embarrassing to the individuals. Which is at opposition with almost every other use of technology we see in Black Mirror. Absolutely. And it's almost ironic in a Black Mirror sense that she ends up accidentally stumbling upon a murder. And there comes the, like, what do you do with this technology when you are going into someone's mind to investigate a pizza accident that is, by our all intents and purposes, not that big of a deal, and it turns out the person that witnessed that is a murderer. 
it's a very nuanced approach that this episode is taking to the implementation of that technology. As soon as we see the shift in Mia, this huge, you know, Pandora's box of questions just explodes out on us. So one of the questions that comes to mind is like, why doesn't Shazia have a companion? Why doesn't she have a bodyguard if she's going to the middle of nowhere? And part of that is that she's sort of a renegade and independent and just wants to go and do this by herself. But she goes 50 miles out of town and is face-to-face with a dangerous killer. Another question that comes up is, is this technology sound if Mia is almost successful in totally manipulating it? Uh, And so once it gets into the hands, or once it gets into the head of someone with deep ulterior motives, what is that what what is that indicative of in terms of how this technology works and all of these questions are exploding in your mind as you're watching this but that's not our main focus in this episode even if those little synapses are firing the following scene is one of the most sus- suspenseful and emotionally you know heart-wrenching of the series as we watch one character who's devolving into total madness and psychopathy uh, pursuing a character that we have grown to recognize as deeply ethical and connected to her family. And so we're tied up in this personal, in this character-driven drama, rather than focused directly on the sort of like, oh, what if we're the monsters and we created this technology that's ultimately going to destroy us? So like I said, it's a nuanced approach to it because all those questions are there, but we're driven in a different direction to explore the human soul through our response, our engagement with the natural world, with each other interpersonally and with the technology we create. Yeah. The technology itself is not inherently problematic. It's the fact that at any time you might be talking to a fucking murderer, right? Yeah. You know, it's the fact that, you know, you know Shazia is using this technology the way it should be. Turns out some people are fucking killers and are trying to get away with being a killer. And you might be interacting that with that person unbeknownst to you. And that might be happening every day. And that killer might realize that, you know, and then kill you. And evidenced of this indifferent universe that cares not whether, whether we act ethically, morally, or otherwise, uh, a character that we have grown to identify with and have grown to feel compassion for gets thrown into a horribly violent situation at the hands of someone who has acted without morals, without ethical guidance. And so we have a a sort of existential moment of, does it matter if I do right or not, when the powerful uh, and violent can take control of my existence at any moment. And I think when you encounter the human crocodile you know, in that moment, are you predator or prey? And Shazia was prey. And I think it's telling when Mia confronts Shazia. So she ultimately clonks her on the head and drags her to like an abandoned barn, ties her up. Shazia says that, you know, this experience of me looking at your memories, it's like confession. It's like Catholic confession. I couldn't say anything. I Even if I wanted to, I just can't implying that there is some sort of a holy connection between what she does and the memories that she can extrapolate. However, we already know as an audience, that's not true. We already know from what she told to the dentist that as long as what she sees isn't going to be harmful to anyone else, 
that uh, she keeps it private. But if it is harmful, she has to report it. Right. So we are seeing a sort of perverse form of a confession. We're seeing that evoked as one character using whatever she can for the survival instinct. And then when Mia goes in for the killing blow, Shazia starts to pray. The last thing that she can do before she gets clunked on the head and murdered. It's a really tragic moment that she's begging for her life. And, and even when she is saying what she says about Catholic confession, and we know that it's slightly a different situation, even we believe her, right? I know Mia doesn't because she's driven, of course, by wanting to preserve her own life and, and own freedom. But we kind of believe Shazia that she will, will do anything to get out of this situation. And maybe at the end of this, she'll keep her mouth shut. Who knows? Uh, she certainly believes it in the moment. She believes it in the moment because she wants to live. And yeah, but that of course doesn't matter because we are unfortunately living in a universe where bad things happen to good people all the time. So the question that I have here, um, cause we're running short on time, plenty more to say, but the question that I have here is, is this episode nihilistic? I started the question of the universe can feel indifferent. Maybe it is indifferent. And if it is indifferent, are we not just, you know, is nihilism not correct in the way that we look at the world? And do you think that this are, this episode argues for nihilism? Oh man, that's it's a big question. And I think on the surface, yes, it does. It it says to us, it arg- argues at least for a, a, a sort of pessimistic existentialism, right? Uh, so it says whether or not you do right, whether or not you do your job well, whether or not you stay in line or do the moral action, you uh, you may end up dead in a shed. It also says if you do wrong, eventually it will come out. It's crime and punishment, right? So like, like I was talking about her dropping the... Uh, the body into the lake. She also drops Rob into a sewer drain. She kills the husband in a bathtub, but always those things are going to bubble to the surface. That's why we get that water imagery, that ice imagery. And what happens in the very end? I've been asking this question about what separates us from the animals. A guinea pig is the thing that gives her away. Even if we have no soul, we're just animals driven blindly by wanting to survive and run from the the predator and kill the prey. Everybody else is on our same level. So an evil murderer will eventually be caught because there is always somebody watching, whether it's the immovable giant mountains or a furry little guinea pig that's the companion of a poor blind infant. I think it complicates that ending so you can't take it completely nihilistically and you can't take it optimistically either. Yeah. I think that's a very interesting argument and a very interesting reflection. I'm going to offer uh, a counter analysis or not counter, but maybe concurrent, but slightly different uh, analysis. If we assume that humanity has a soul, then in many ways, crocodile is the most hopeful episode of black mirror yet, despite the carnage the reason why I would say that is that it teaches us that a soul that ends up 
uh, opening itself up to, you know, foul and heinous deeds like murder will ultimately get to the end point where they may have killed everybody, but you really can't kill away your problems. And that protecting the material, protecting the things that you own, the things that you think are yours, that you fought for, and protecting that at all costs will never ultimately make you satisfied and you'll destroy your soul in the process. Yeah. Right? And and that's what this character Mia does. She destroys her own soul to protect things. And it starts with that first murder where she wants to protect her boyfriend. And then from there, all of her murders are going to be justified of, I'm doing this to protect this or protect that. But at the end of the day, you know, she destroys herself in the process of doing that. And in that way, it tells us a, a very cautionary moral tale in the way the telltale heart does, yeah. which you can't say is nihilism or pessimism. So that's one way to look at it, I think. And one way that's more optimistic and much more optimistic than other black mirror episodes that deal with despair, you know, like 15 million merits, not a happy story. Everyone gets ruined and corrupted in that, right? This one, not everyone gets ruined. Some people die, but they die pure. They don't get corrupted. And while that might seem terrible, if and it is terrible, so that is terrible, but if their soul is intact and there is a soul, then there is a light, both metaphoric and spiritual, at the end of the tunnel for these characters. Wow. You know? I really like that analysis. So that's one way to look at it. Yeah. I think the other way to look at it is that we are all animals and there is no soul. And look at the... Um, that lengths that a corrupted human will go to protect themselves. And I think even in that analysis, it still says, man, you shouldn't go to those lengths. You know, like, like if you get to the point where you're considering murdering someone to protect yourself, yeah, you probably should just pause and not murder that person because you don't deserve to be protected. Yeah, like don't murder people. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right because there's also, there's no interpretation of Mia's character arc where you can come away and say she is unchanged by the actions that she has done. There's no way you can walk out of that and say Mia's just a sociopath because in the final moments of the episode, when she's watching her child and every kill that she's done, she has cried. Whether or not we interpret those as crocodile tears, she's facing a real, like, come to Jesus. She's facing a, an incredible moral dilemma each time. Uh, and she comes face to face with her child who's singing Bugsy Malone in the school musical, holding like a prop AK-47, singing we could have been anything we wanted to be. And she's confronted with the fact that she has taken the life of, of innocent people, including a baby in a crib, in order to protect you know, her own family life, her own you know, social order. She has taken lives and she has completely derailed herself from the person that she wanted to be. She may still have her career as a you know, powerful architect, even if she does get arrested at the end of the episode, she still gets to take that home, but she will never be able to walk into her job uh, again without thinking of, of the lives she took. She'll never wake up another day without thinking of the baby that she murdered in its crib. She'll never, you know, kiss her child at night 
without thinking of of that. She'll never kiss her husband without thinking of that husband. Yeah, I think central to the idea of a soul is the idea of free will and that humans can act of their own free will and that those actions of their free will can help to nourish and replenish, restore, or ultimately corrode and destroy the soul. And I think um, Mia pays a, a deep emotional cost knowing do, knowing that she's doing wrong. Um, I do think it is her tears are mostly symbolic of crocodile tears. You're crying because it's so painful for you, but you're actually killing these people, you know? So I do think there is a, a part of those tears that are, as a viewer, tough for me to really walk into Mia and empathize with. I think that's Mia being like, it's a little better because I'm crying. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I think you're absolutely right. But I think I'm not she at all is trying to definitely facing an emotional reckoning. Sure, absolutely. And I think at the end of this episode, I think one of the things that's telling is that we don't see Mia arrested. We don't know it's true. if she gets caught. Obviously, the cops are there. We can assume that they use the guinea pig and facial recognition software. But we don't really know that. One thing that Black Mirror as a show typically by rule does is resolve and give you a clear end to the story. Yeah. This one curiously doesn't. It leaves it open. She's standing there clapping for her son. We see the cops in the background and we are kind of left to our own devices to decide what really happened to Mia. Like, we don't know if a guinea pig memory is enough evidence to convict someone. Of course. They just might bring her in for questioning. Maybe she gets off. Maybe. You know, maybe she doesn't. And a guinea, a guinea pig memory is enough to conv you know, convict her. Maybe she confesses. But all of those things we don't see because Black Mirror, I think in this episode, invites us to write the moral end to this narrative. I think when we do that, it tells us more about us than it does about the show. And I think that is one of the reasons why I truly thought this was the standout episode. I did too. Uh, I honestly, I look back on this past season and I think it of has- Of season four, standout a, episode. Of, of season, season four. four. I, I think it does have some major strengths, um, including Crocodile and Hang the DJ. Crocodile probably being what I would consider the, the best episode of the season. Uh, USS Callister is great as well. But on the whole, I do think it's a little bit of a weaker season, uh, just in the sense that it it feels a little more heavy-handed than than previous seasons and a little more um, glib in terms of its handling of the material. But in certain episodes, like Crocodile, which stands out, it's really character-driven, and it's really pushing us to uh, to to make an empathetic and emotional bond with a character who may or may not be the fucking worst. And I think that's an interesting exercise in empathy and in our sort of human connection. If we can empathize with Mia to an extent, we can, we can open our horizons. We can expand our horizons however we like. And that I think is one of the ultimate lessons of black mirror is to see things through others eyes even the most terrible. And if we can see the way they see the world and have some semblance of empathy for them, uh, we are advancing the human condition, which can be callous and cold and based upon retribution and hatred and malice. 
And I think if we can look at a character like Mia and walk away from that episode and not feel emotionally destroyed and be like, I get where she was coming from. Don't agree with any decisions that she makes. I think she is a terrible human being, but I know where it's coming from. It does help us to be a little more empathetic as a, as a human. Um, you know, one thing in preparation for this podcast is, you know, reading reviews and analysis. The interesting thing is that a lot of people out there talking very seriously about Black Mirror find uh, Crocodile to be the weak point in season four. That's crazy. That really surprises me. Well, I think the argument is that it starts a conversation about surveillance and their surveillance state, and it doesn't finish it. Is the, the, the common like criticism of like, what about this technology? Is this technology okay? Is it all right? You know, is this a, a police state? What happens when every person's eyes are a camera to be used by corporations and the government? And I think those are all really serious questions that I don't think this episode was asking. No, it wasn't. And because that technology exists, it is only natural to ask those questions. Because if we are living in our society and suddenly my insurance company can record my brain, you know, I think that would, you know, would there be some really serious like debate about whether I want my insurance company to record my brain or not. And I think there is a bit of a metaphor to that and the cloud, uh, very loosely veiled how we trust companies to hold our personal data and our personal thoughts. But this episode wasn't about exploring the technology and its ethical ramifications rather than exploring humanity and these characters and those ethical implications. And I think if you go to this episode and approach it in a standard black Mirian way, nothing wrong with it and be like, show me the cool tech, show me what the cool tech does and let's meditate on what this cool tech does. You will be disappointed in this episode because that's not what this episode's about. Right, right. It's, it's more and, and much, much more about this internal journey uh, of, of a person in regular person circumstances who is thrown on this whole tragic downward spiral uh, and where the technology intersects with that spiral. Absolutely. Uh, one last thing I'd like to say just to, Do just it. to conclude, to go back to the empathy conversation we were having moments ago and how Black Mirror really does give you this exercise in connecting with even the most, uh, most abhorrent of people this episode of Black Mirror Crocodile um, reuses a piece of music that shows up in an earlier episode, 15 Million Merits. And it's very easy to write this off as just an Easter egg. It's Irma Thomas's Anyone Who Knows What Love Is. And it's a song that's heavily featured in 15 Million Merits and then lightly featured in this episode. And I wanted to find a way to see it as not just an Easter egg, and is something intentional. And if we're looking at the use of the song as purposeful, I think we can apply it to every Black Mirror episode and how we connect with people, even if we know they have the most deeply rooted flaws. And that's by thinking on these couple of words. Wow, this is a total boomerang. This is a total boomerang. I was, I was not prepared to talk about this. Let's do it. Uh, for those of you new to the podcast, a boomerang is when we discuss something we hadn't planned because early in the show run, I uh, once meant to say this is a midnight myth curveball. 
But I fucked up and said boomerang. Yeah. So sometimes we just throw boomerangs at each other and then it comes full circle. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but these words from, from uh, Irma Thomas's Anyone Who Knows What Love Is really resonates with Black Mirror on the whole. You can blame me, try to shame me, and still I'll care for you. You can run around, even put me down, still I'll be there for you. Uh, the song is really about how, how dark people can get, how low people can really go, and still be seen as worthwhile and human. And I think if we can, if we can try and see Mia as worthwhile, even though she has done the most horrible things, if we can still try and see her as apart from a crocodile and see her as apart from a guinea pig, and if we can see Clarence from Black, um, from Black Museum as human, even though you know he's maybe done a horrible thing, if we can continue to see uh, the kid from Shut Up and Dance as worthwhile, even though he looks at really disgusting things on the internet, if we can do that, we can be more human. We can work more on our own souls. Uh, so that's something I would encourage us all to think about in these sort of troubled times that we have ahead. It's really easy to write off people who do bad things as bad people and as inhuman and as soulless. And I think uh, without trying to sound too, like, religious. I think we should all work to see each other as inherently worthwhile and full of dignity and grace. Yeah. I don't know if we have souls and if we were to debate the subject and try to examine it and try to study it, I would probably ultimately come down to the side that we don't. If I had to, you know, and I don't, I don't know the answer, right? but if I had to come up with an answer, if we were forced into that, that's probably the answer I would be more likely to give than any other. Um, but if we do, if we do have souls, then even Mia has one. And if she does have a soul, then even she is redeemable by virtue of the soul. And if that is the case, then I think the one thing that we can take away from crocodile is that we're not crocodiles. We're, we're humans and we can carve out a better way. And we can look at what seems like senseless and horrible violence. And we can decide to change and become better. And I think right now we stand at that precipice where do we continue to do the things that we the, the previous generations have done that have resulted in pain and death and torment, or do we decide collectively to be better? And I think in the wake of the Florida shooting, there is a, a lot of people trying to say, let's do better. I think that's a positive thing. If that's if for no other reason, it may not mean anything in an indifferent universe. It may mean everything in a universe that isn't indifferent. I don't know the answer to that question, but it does bring me a sense of optimism. You know what I think? Tell me. I think anyone who knows what love is will understand. And until next week, guys, be kind. Be kind. Be kind.